So this evening we have a really um, special presentation um, again. We welcome Trent Janish, who is a personal development coach. He's also a corporate trainer, and he's the author of a number one Canadian Amazon bestseller uh, called Three Strategies, to, Three Steps to Better Relationships. Sorry. Um, today we're going to be learning about how to build emotional resilience in times that are more challenging, so that we can, uh, you know, come out on top in the end and better than ever before. So uh, before I introduce Trent to you, I would like to just go over a couple housekeeping items. Uh, first of all, as you can tell, we have asked everybody to please uh, remain muted and to have your video off during the presentation. We really appreciate that. Uh, at the end of the presentation, uh, Trent will go through the chat room and go through your questions. So please type in your questions in the chat room if you can. If you prefer to to ask questions live, you can definitely do that and you can save them for after um, the chat room questions are attended to. And as we've done before, I will be emailing everybody tomorrow with a video recording of tonight's seminar and giving you more information about how to redeem your choices coupons. So that'll be happening as it usually does. And so without further ado, I would love to introduce Trent to you this evening and I hope you enjoy the presentation. And I'll just unpin my video here, Trent. Okay. And I'll get you to do. Good. All right. Okay. Thank you very much, Hannah. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. And thanks, everybody, for showing up today. Um, during the presentation, I may ask you a question or two. If you want to unmute yourself and just throw out an answer and then re-mute yourself, that would be fine. Um, if there's... If I'll, I'll wait usually about five seconds, and if I don't get a response, I'll just continue on. Let's just say that that would be a good thing to do. There'll only be a couple times, and then I will take live questions at the end. Uh, so I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have, and I'm willing to stay on as long as you need me to. So I'm going to stop my video. I'm going to share my screen so that you can see the slideshow presentation and just hear my voice. So sharing the screen. And here we go. So let me just do this. So this is there. So Hannah, if you don't mind just letting me know if you can see this all right and I'll get started. Everything is perfect, Trent. Go for it. All right. So welcome again, everyone. Um, we're calling this some, From Suffering to Serenity, Unveiling the Secrets to Emotional Resilience. Brought to you, of course, by Choices Markets and myself here, Trent Janish of The Power You Are. So there's some questions that I, you know, usually think about when, when giving a presentation that, you know, when we're going to talk about something, it's good to be on the same page. So I want to answer some questions through the presentation, like what is resilience? Why is it important? What's the relationship between resilience, emotions, and stress? I mean, resilience is a nice word, but let's see what it's all about. Uh, what are some science-based strategies for increasing resilience? So, so those are some of the things I'll be sharing with you today, along with a couple bonuses, um, bonus strategies that, um, that add to it. And, and, and you can actually take these, mix and match them, and create your own recipes with them as well. Find out what works best for you. So a little bit about who I am, just so you know who's talking. Uh, again, my name is Trent. And I'm a founder of a company called The Power You Are Personal Development. And that's a personal development. I usually pr provide one-on-one -on -one and group coaching. Uh, I work with clients internationally. Uh, I have clients in a number of different countries. And uh, usually work with business owners um, that are usually busy with family and everything. They have a high level of demands on them. Um, I'm also the co-founder of a company called New Ways Education. And this is the corporate side of things. I work with my partner, Mel Clifford. And we've developed a couple of real flagship programs that we facilitate. One is called the Project Management Game Board, which is a, a way of gamifying and simplifying the process of project management for non-project managers and project managers alike. And it gets the whole company working together to ensure the success of projects. And, the, and my baby is called FST, which is the Foundation of Successful Teams. And that's all about boosting culture in companies and creating better communication within companies. There's the book that I'd written. It's available at Amazon and other places as well. And my mission really is to help people 
responsibly embrace and embody the power they are to create positive change in their own lives and the world around them. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, when I say the power you are, as opposed to the power you have, because anything you have can be taken away from you, but power by definition is like the control over energy. It's the ability to affect change. And science says everything's made of energy. So that includes you. You are a self-contained, self-directed, self-aware ball of energy that you can move yourself about and you are influencing the world around you all the time. You're part of an environment. You're not in an environment. You're actually part of it, which means that everything around you is responding in part to your presence. And what that means is part of what you're looking at when you're witnessing the world around you is an adaptation to your being there. So if you don't like what you're seeing and you, you can't change other people, but you can change yourself. And when you use yourself wisely and change your approach, then the environment you're in starts to change as well because you're part of that environment and you're increasing your influence. So I like to say that you are power. You are always influencing. So use yourself wisely. And I provide people with the skills to do that even better than they are. Now, word of warning, I, I, I often, a playful word of warning, I often say that I speak in dots. So I'll, I'll talk about this. I'll make one point and I'll talk about that. I'll make another point. And, and people sometimes say, where are you getting that? But trust me. It's okay. I will connect all those dots and create a nice picture for you in the end. And then if you have any questions at the end, you'll say, oh, okay, no, I get it. You answered my question in the midst of the presentation. So hopefully I'm not too dotty in my speech, but we'll see how this goes. So let's get on with the show. Let's get started. I'd like to ask, what is resilience? And if you want to offer your opinion, there are no wrong answers. We just uh, I'll take one or two or to anyone that wants to unmute their microphone and then remute it after. Just let me know what you think resilience is or what is resilience for you? How would you define it? All right. Well, I'll let you know how the dictionary does it. So the dictionary says that resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and, and toughness. They also say that it's it's the ability of a substance or an object to spring back into shape. So it's like this bounce back factor. I like to say that um, in, in, in more simple terms that resilience is the ability to heal from adversity. And that's kind of what this dictionary definition was referring to is kind of like the healing, how to, how to recover from these, these adversities, how to, how to bounce back. So, when we're talking about adversity, we're talking about, you know, some other words that wrap around it are troubles, difficulties, hard times, complications, challenges, setbacks, frustrations, and healing in its origin. To heal means to make whole. Health is a state of wholeness. So to make whole again, to restore wholeness is what healing means. And usually we need to heal when something's taken away from us, when we're fragmented, when we're not completely whole anymore. And we want to bounce back to normal and we, we want to restore and mend and recover. And so this is what the dictionary was saying, but I say that there's more to this. There's a little bit more to resilience than just bouncing back to where we were before, because sometimes what happens in life is that the environment changes. Things change. You lose your job or, you, you got, or things, there's a lot of layoffs and suddenly the, 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 where you're working isn't the same anymore, or there's a loss of someone in the family. And uh, you actually then have to grow. You have to become a different person to fill the gap. And so we don't just heal. We don't just bounce back to where we were before. We actually have to surpass that. We have to grow through that adversity, which means we go beyond and we break through because we can't be the person we were because part of who we were was an adaptation to the environment that we were in. And when the environment changes, we have to become different and we have to go through certain fears and break through those fears in order to go beyond. So it usually happens, we tend to grow when we need something that's out of reach, metaphorically or even physically out of reach for us. So when we're growing, this is really that adaptation to change, and this is where we learn and we evolve and we transform. Now, to simplify things, just keeping it simple, resilience is your ability to heal and grow. And I say that resilience is this energy that facilitates healing and growth simultaneously. Um, and the way that I envision this is that imagine you got a big hole in your yard and it needs to be filled. So you bring a truckload of dirt in and you're engaging in an action of using a shovel and putting dirt into that hole one step at one shovel at a time until it's filled. And now that's healed. 
But if you keep doing the same action of putting a shovel foot of dirt back in the same spot, that, that flat ground now turns into a mound. So that's the growth. The same action, same energy facilitates healing and growth depending on how far along you are in your journey. So why is resilience important? Well, it gives you the power to keep going and to never give up. So a lot of successful people, if you read autobiographies and such of really successful people, they will attribute their success to persistence. And persistence is the ability to continue on when everyone else quits. They end up going further than anyone else has ever gone because they just kept going. And it's resilience is one of the key things that allows them to continue forward. So when you have resilience, of course, there's success ahead. And Winston Churchill is famous for a couple quotes. He said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. And success consists of going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. And resilience is that, that strength that helps you do just that. So good news is resilience isn't something you're just born with. It's a skill that you can learn. And so let's get on with seeing what we can do to learn this skill. So I'm just going to have a sip of water. And it sounds like someone is eating with dishes, so I, I can, someone's got their microphone on. Um, if you could check and see that uh, you're muted, that would be awesome. So adversity, we're talking about these hard times, troubles, difficulties, and challenges. What emotions are associated with adversity? So just think about this for a while silently. Like if you're met with hard times or challenges or frustrations or problems, like what are you feeling? And I have created a little list here for this presentation. There are different things that we might feel when we're faced with adversity. That sadness, anxiety, anger, frustration, fear, disappointment, depression, could be worried. And the question that I have then is, you know, the, the thought is that when you have this resilience and you build this, you have the ability to heal and grow through adversity. You actually have this heal, the ability to heal from and grow through frustration, to grow through anger, to grow through anxiety, to grow through de de depression and, de and worry disappointment, that these so-called negative emotions or painful emotions aren't actually so bad after all, because they, are, uh, they help us grow. And, and one of my clients really loves this line, and I hope you don't mind my language here, but you know, when the shit hits the fan, you know, there's, there's that expression and everything goes to hell. Um, I like to say, is it it or is it fertilizer? Because if it's shit, you're just complaining about how bad it smells and you're not doing anything. But if it's fertilizer, it's helping you to grow. And when you see it that way, it's like, okay, I can do this. So the first step really is a change in attitude, is, is taking a look at these so-called negative or painful emotions and looking at them in a new way. And there's a poem called The Guest House by Rumi. And if you know Rumi, he's, he was a Sufi mystic from a few hundred years back, about 500 years ago, I believe. And he was a wonderful... Uh, philosopher, teacher, but also a poet. And I really love this poem, and I'd like to share it with you and then tell you why, and you'll see really how it's relevant to what we're talking about here. So here it is, the guest house. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if there are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I really love what he's saying here, especially when he talks about greet them at the door laughing and meet them. So when frustration comes knocking or anxiety comes knocking, let them in, let them in. And, and the way I do this as a practice physically is recognize that when I feel anxiety, the first thing I do, because uh, I used to suffer from anxiety years ago, and I would notice where it manifests in my body. So I would feel a tightness in my chest and kind of a pit in my stomach. So I would just observe that physical sensation. And I'd say to myself, hey, I'd actually speak to the anxiety itself. I would say, hey, anxiety, welcome, come on in. You're welcome to stay as long as you like. 
It's only one rule. You don't get to sit in the driver's seat. And what I mean by that is I'm going to sit in the driver's seat and I'm going to watch the anxiety. I'm going to watch the physical sensation of it. I'm not going to let it drive the car. It doesn't get to choose my words. So I have a personal rule that when I feel a negative or a painful emotion, I don't allow myself to speak if possible. I don't make decisions and I don't take actions while I'm in those states because every emotion is like a living thing that wants to feed itself and sustain itself. So when you're anxious, you can only see the things that, that sustain the anxiety. You're, you're, you're thinking about all the things that could go wrong and, and you don't see other possibilities. So anxiety, when you put it in the driver's seat or let it hijack you, um, now it's driving the car. It's driving your perception. It's, it's focusing your mind for you. So I don't let it do that. I observe it. So you can think of anxiety or any emotion like a cloud that you stand in and look through and, and it's clouded. So you, you only see what it wants you to see. When you step outside the cloud and view it as physical sensation and say, you can stay as long as you like, but I'm going to drive. When you do that, what happens is in neuroscience, they call this metacognition. It's noticing what you notice, thinking about what you think about. And when you just notice your feelings, they actually melt away and they don't have the power over you. So let that be part of a strategy that you can use already. And that just comes from changing your attitude by welcoming these so don't be afraid, is the, is the moral of this story, don't be afraid to feel these so-called negative emotions because they're there to help you grow and, you, and they're with a message and you can use them, but don't let them drift, don't let them move you. So if I think about this and we take a look at all of this list of, of these kinds of emotions, what's the one thing that these so-called negative emotions have in common? And I would say it's, it's stress. They're all variants of stress. And so, again, we, we want to define this so that we all agree that we're talking about the same thing. What is stress? Well, in science, they call this the fight-flight response, but when, that's a normal survival mechanism that when we, when we actually notice a, a, what we perceive a threat to, to our well-being, the fight-flight-freeze response is, is activated, and what happens is all the blood leaves your core. You don't need to digest your food if you're not going to live another five minutes. we got to get the resources out to the extremities. You need to be able to run, to fight, to save your life, because we're really concerned with the details in the next five minutes. So it's a, it's a survival mechanism that is triggered by the perception of a threat. And if there's nothing to run away from, nothing to fight, nothing physical, no clear and present danger, then that... You can't run away from anything. You can't get away from it. And this, 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 this reaction, this survival mechanism is continually sustained. So you're, you're producing more and more cortisol and all of these adrenaline. And you got all this extra energy that's meant to be burnt off, but you got nothing to use it towards. That's stress. Stress is when you've got all of this extra arousal energy that you can't use up. And it's, then it gets stored in your cells or it starts to affect your body in a negative way when you hold on to it too long. So as a preliminary resilience strategy, as a little kind of a bonus here concerning stress, I'd like to say the first thing you want to do when you're noticing yourself feel stressed is, is ask yourself, is this threat that I'm perceiving right here, right now, is, it, is there an ax murderer in front of me trying to kill me? Is there a shark in this water? Is, is there something clear and present? Because is the house on fire? Because I promise you, if it is, you don't need to think. You're going to take action right away. So that's what you want to do. If the answer is yes, there is clear and present danger, you take action. Because that's what the fight-flight response is for. It gives you all that extra energy you need to get moving. But if the answer is no, then realize the first thing you want to do is breathe. Breathe in nice and slow if you can. A longer exhale than inhale. And the reason for that is when you exhale longer than your inhale, you're activating your vagus nerve and you're starting to switch from what they call the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic, basically your stress response to your relaxation response. So you're starting to take hold of your body physically by taking slow breaths and making sure that do it at least three times. If you can breathe in for three and out for four and then grow it so that you're breathing in for five seconds and out for six, that's great. That's ideal. But usually under stress, we forget sometimes to breathe. But if you could just breathe, that's actually a great first step. The next thing you want to do is realize that what you're reacting to is actually your imagination. So let me demonstrate. Let's say I'm out in my front yard. It's a beautiful summer night. It's the middle of the night. I go outside barefoot in the front lawn, and I'm admiring the stars. And uh, I hear a little sound behind me, and I look behind me, and there's a snake in the grass. So without even thinking, 
my heart starts beating faster, my palms are sweating, and I'm running. I'm running away. And I stop and I turn when I think I'm at a safe distance just to check and see where that snake is. And I look back and I see it in the grass. It hasn't moved. In fact, it's not even moving. So I slowly walk back to find out, you know, if, is, what, what, what's going on here. And I realize that it's not a snake at all. It's the garden hose. Didn't put it away earlier. Oh, okay. But my body didn't know that. How come my body reacted to the garden hose like it was a snake? Well, because that was my perception. And unfortunately for all of us, perception is reality. So we don't, our bodies and our physiology doesn't respond to reality. It responds to the story we're telling ourselves about reality. Another way to say that is what I'm imagining is happening. So perception is basically you take in the information as best you can, you compare it with the memories that you have of your past, and then you come up with a story about what this means. And then that story decides for you what, what, what you're going to feel next because that feeling is the anticipation or the body getting itself ready to adapt to whatever change is coming. So realize that you're reacting to your imagination that, oh, I'm, I'm worried, I'm anxious that something bad is going to happen, but there's nothing in this clear and present moment that's really threatening. I'm sitting in this chair, I'm in this room, everything is fine, I'm actually safe in this moment, I'm just fine. So I'm just reacting to something that I'm imagining, an outcome that I don't want. And it doesn't exist in this moment. So it doesn't exist. It's just a potential. It's just possible. So there's no problems in this present moment because problems are things that you can solve. And if, it was, if your house was on fire again, it's not a problem. You just move. You get out. You just do. You get out. So when you realize that you're reacting to only one of many possibilities and you're imagining a possibility that you don't want to have happen, but when you calm down enough through the breathing to recognize, okay, I'm just imagining an outcome that I don't want. Other things are possible. And you've probably had times in your life when you were worried about a situation and really anxious and nervous about maybe confronting someone or meeting someone or going to, to ask for a raise or could have been anything. And you, you build it up in your mind so much that you're just so stressed out about it. And then when you finally get into the situation and get through it, you realize, oh, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Well, isn't that the story of our lives? It's not nearly as bad as we imagined it. And yet we spend all that time putting our bodies through hell while we're imagining something. Why not practice imagining outcomes that we want and work towards making them real? So I often like to say that the best way to predict the future is to create it. So anyway, imagine a better outcome is the moral of the story here. And remind yourself that this too is possible somehow. And so there you go. This sort of some background information. Now we're going to get into research-based strategies that you can use to <clears throat> build your resilience. So this is the official resilience strategy number one of this presentation. And this comes from Kelly McGonigal, who's a health psychologist for Stanford University. She did a really beautiful TED Talk a few years back where she talked about a study that was done where researchers tracked 30,000 people for a period of eight years. And they asked them three questions. First of one, how much stress have you experienced in the past year? A high level of stress, a mid-level of stress, or a low level of stress? And they answered that question. Next thing they said is, do you believe that stress is harmful for your health? And then they would answer yes or no. And then what they did is over the period of eight years, they checked public death records to see who died. So here's the results of that study. The people who experienced that high level of stress over the past year had a 43% increased risk of dying. But, and this is a big but, that only applied to people who believed that stress was harmful for their health. Isn't that interesting? That means that the people who did not believe that stress was bad for them had the lowest risk of anyone, even lower than those who only had a little bit of stress but still believed it was bad for them. What this means is that they estimate over the eight years of the study that 182,000 people died, not from stress, but from the belief that stress was bad for you. So that made believing that stress is bad for you the 15th leading cause of death that year in the USA. And it killed more people than skin cancer, HIV, AIDS, and homicide. I know, right? What is going on here? Well, this is what they call in science the nocebo effect. It's the opposite of what we know as the placebo effect. And we know that the placebo effect is the ability for the mind and brain to, through belief to heal the body. 
And the nocebo effect is the opposite. It's the ability for your mind and brain through belief to create illness in the body. And this is very interesting because, um, well, let's just continue on with this. We, we know this intuitively, but there's a lot more science now that, that backs this up. This is a great book by Robert Collier, written back in, or published back in 1926. And the quote from this book I thought was pretty <laughs> poignant for today. He said, the Chinese have a saying that when the plague comes, 5,000 people may die of the plague, but 50,000 will die of the fear of it. And even going further back in time to an ancient Greek philosopher named Epictetus, he said that people are not disturbed by things, but by the views they take of them. So when we take a negative view of what's coming, we put our bodies, we change our biochemistry with that biochemistry of stress. And if we believe that that stress is bad for us, then the brain is sending signals through the nervous system to the body for how to process those chemicals in a bad way because it's anticipating or believing or expecting that this is not good. And so that's why we create conditions in our body that actually cause us harm. So the, the summary of this and how to apply resilience strategy number one, what, what this research has now caused Kelly McGonigal to do, she says, oh God, I felt really bad because for years I've been telling people stress is bad for them, but now I'm changing my tune. And so she says, the key is what we wanna do as a resilience strategy is to believe that your stress response is actually helpful because it is. It's meant to help you survive. So when you feel these uh, responses from, the, from the, that triggered fight-flight response, notice that feeling that you're calling stress, oh my goodness, and remind yourself that, oh, the stress response helping my body to rise to this challenge. My pounding heart's preparing me for action. It's getting that blood moving. My fast breathing's getting more oxygen in my brain so I can make these decisions. And so when you start telling yourself that story, you actually change your inner chemistry and you create the conditions within your body that are actually neutralizing the negative effects of stress. So here's some resources for you. And if you know how to take screenshots, you can do this. This might be helpful, but you'll be getting a, this video tomorrow as well, the recording of this, so you don't need to. But this is a great book. I'm just going to share a few cool books that, that help with this so you can you can increase your own self-learning. The Dr. Bruce Lipton uh, is a cellular biologist. He wrote this great book called The Biology of Belief, Unleashing the Power of Consciousness, Matter, and Miracles. Uh, he talks about um, how genes are not the thing that determine your health over time. It's what's uh, called epigenetics, the environmental information. Your perception of the environment actually determines how your genes are activated. So again, it's the story we're telling ourselves that's, that's affecting our health more than anything else. You Are the Placebo, Making Your Mind Matter by Dr. Joe Dispenza, another great book talking about how to take advantage of this, this process, the placebo effect. This is a great book I really liked um, by Dr. Lissa Rankin, Mind Over Medicine, Scientific Proof That You Can Heal Yourself. Now, what's interesting about this or her story, as I remember it, is Lissa is a, a second generation. Her father was a doctor and she became a medical doctor. She's very, you know, straight laced and by the book. And she heard a lot about the placebo effect and was getting mad at this. And she says, oh, I, I got to put an end to this. And so she started doing research to debunk because she's quite cynical and skeptical about the whole placebo thing. And so she sought out to disprove it. And in that process of studying uh, all of the studies and doing the research on placebo, and even I think maybe doing a couple of her own, but she had found information that swayed her to the other side. She says, oh my God, the data is, is so uh, voluminous. There's so much data here that uh, I can't deny it anymore, that we have this mechanism within our body that we can actually heal ourselves. So this is another great book. And what really gets me too is when you hear about placebo surgery, like uh, knee surgery, where they're fixing fellows' knees, and, and half the people get real surgery, the other half get sham surgery, where they just open up the knee, uh, pretend to do the surgery, and then sew it up again. And if I remember correctly, don't quote me on this, the results for the people that actually got surgery and the ones that had the placebo surgery, the success rate was the same, which is odd because they <laughs> it cost the surgeons to think about, God, why am I even doing anything if these people are healing on their own and <laughs> just believing that they got surgery? But uh, they check with them years later. They're playing basketball. Oh, my knee's just great. So anyway, that's really amazing. Uh, another great book. It's an oldie but a goodie. It's called The Relaxation Response by Herbert Benson. Uh, he worked at Harvard. Uh, it's a classic mind-body approach that has helped millions of people conquer, conquer pardon me, the harmful effects of stress. 
So it's the opposite of the stress response, the, the relaxation response. He's the one that coined the phrase. And then this one's really great, Dr. Greg, Greg, or Greg Braden. He said that in this book, The Science of Self-Empowerment, I just want to share a quote with you. He said that ancient traditions such as yoga, qigong, and Ayurvedic medicine have already discovered that our bodies are literally wired to heal from the instant we are born. And science is now demonstrating this. They have also discovered that we are the ones who start and stop the process of healing. The key is to create the conditions that make healing possible. And by doing what we've shared, what I've shared with you so far with, you know, believing stress is good for you, welcoming these so-called negative emotions, but not letting them drive the car, breathing, exhaling longer than you inhale, you're already doing a world of good to create the conditions that make your healing possible, that facilitate that resilience. Now, just I just want to remind you before I go on, because I've got a few more strategies to share with you, but I want you to think about what I'm sharing with you like a fire drill. Like when you were a kid and you did fire drills in school and the bell went off and there wasn't a real fire, but you practiced the process so that when there was a real fire, you wouldn't have to think. You could just get up and do the right thing that would save your life and get out of a burning building properly without panicking because you've practiced and practiced and practiced. It's the same with these resilience techniques. Don't wait till the last minute till there's a fire to start using this stuff. I want to encourage you to look at this and practice this or elements of it and, and, and do it every day, every day and, and get better at it and stronger at it, just like you would go to the gym. Go to the resilience gym and build these, these skills because when you need it, it'll be there for you. You'll be able to do it without thinking. You'll be calm and cool and be able to make sure that what's going on isn't hurting your healing process. You're actually helping yourself heal a lot faster and better and grow through the experience. So let's get on with resilience strategy number two. This one I'm going to ask you to participate in. This is by, from the book, Mind Over Medicine. It's called the 20-second hug technique. Now, because your body is responding only, only ever to what you imagine is going on, this means that your imagination is very, very powerful. And your imagination is, is what your body is always reacting to. So there's this technique that she talks about, the 20-second hug technique. You can do this live in person with someone you love to hug. But right now, I'm going to ask you to simply close your eyes and imagine someone that you love, someone that you care about. And if there's no one in your life that you like, think of a dog or a cat or some, something that you really love to hug. But I'm sure you've got at least one person that you care about. So do this with me. Close your eyes. Imagine this person just standing in front of you. They open their arms. You open their arms. You embrace. You pull each other close and tight. You can smell them. You can feel their hair. You can feel them squeezing you tight. And you feel what their hug is actually saying. In a non-verbal non way, they're just saying, you know, I care about you. I want you close. I need you. I love you. I really appreciate you. And I love having you in my life. And just feel that the warmth of that embrace, the strength of that embrace. And now let it go. If you did this well and imagined it vividly, you might notice that you've got a warm feeling in your chest. And you feel that, that, that warmth. What you're noticing is a release of oxytocin. Now oxytocin is, is fondly known as the cuddle chemical. It's a neurohormone that's released during stress as well. Didn't know that, did you? I didn't until I found out about this. Um, and why is this happening? Well, oxytocin is, like I say, it's a neurohormone, so it's, it, it's a chemical messenger that fine-tunes your brain's social instincts. And it primes you to do things that strengthen close relationships. So why would it do this under stress? Well, let's go back to the caveman days and pretend that you're walking along and suddenly a mountain lion comes, jumps in front of you and wants to eat you. And you're like, ah! And if you had your tribe nearby, you, would, you were going to look for them. And hopefully you've treated them nicely enough that they'll all, they'll all come to your aid so that now instead of one of you facing the cat, there's 10 of you. And the cat is now going to think twice before attacking 10 people because it's going to lose that fight. So it'll just run away. So there's strength in numbers. And this is part of our survival techniques that we want to be good social creatures uh, and strengthen these close relationships so that uh, people will be there for us when we need them. It makes you crave physical contact with friends and family, the oxytocin does. 
um, and it, it enhances empathy and compassion. So your desire to really seek to, to understand others makes you more willing to help and support people that you care about. So this is a great technique that if you're mad at someone or you have to talk to someone or you have to have an interesting conversation with someone that you might think is going to be a bit stressful, that you could, you could pretend you could do this little hug technique on your own silently, imagine, and then when you're feeling that oxytocin, go and initiate the conversation. It's a great way to prime yourself and your brain for the right mindset to approach a conversation where someone really needs to be heard. So as part of your stress response and as a strategy, uh, oxytocin is moving you to seek support. It's nudging you to tell someone how you feel and not bottle it up. So if you're feeling depressed or you're anxious or you're scared about something, find someone to reach out to and tell them how you're feeling. Uh, it's motivating you to notice when someone else is struggling so you can help support them as well. It, oxytocin wants you to be surrounded by people who care about you. It's a natural anti-inflammatory, so it's automatically doing the right things for your body to offset says, some of the negative effects of the situation. It helps your blood vessels stay relaxed. So um, with that strategy, again, that 20-second hug technique you can use in, in a number of different ways, but it gives you access to a brain state and a body state that allows you to either seek uh, help or, or offer it. Now, strategy number three comes once again from Kelly McGonigal. And um, this kind of flows quite naturally from the last strategy that we just learned from Lisa Rankin. So she now cites a study here, Kelly. She cites a study where researchers tracked 1,000 adults aged 34 to 93 uh, for a few years. And they said, how much stress have you experienced in the past year? High level, mid-level, low level. They answered that question. And they said, how much time have you spent helping out friends, neighbors, and people in your community? And so then they answer that question. And of course, they check public death records over the next five years to see who died. Now, here's the results. For every major stressful life experience, some financial difficulty, family crisis, or whatever, uh, people actually had a 30% increased risk of dying. But, again, love this big but, people who spent time caring for others showed absolutely 0% increased risk of dying. This means that caring creates resilience. And that's a beautiful thing because, again, uh, just like we talked about with this 20-second hug technique, it puts you into the right state to be able to begin to care even better. So when you're under stress as part of resilience strategy number three, reach out and connect with others by either asking for help or offering it. And sometimes that's hard because we feel embarrassed or ashamed to be feeling what we're feeling. But People feel what they feel, and you'd be surprised how many people actually feel the same as you or have felt the same as you. So find someone you trust. Seek connection, okay? So resilience strategy number four. This one comes from the HeartMath Institute from Northern California, and they call it the quick coherence technique. For those of you who are familiar with it, we'll probably already attest to how good it is. For those of you who don't know about it, Coherence is a word they use to describe um, a state of being where the oscillating systems of your body are working together. So uh, when things are in coherence, they're working together very smoothly and not stepping on each other's toes, not creating any inner resistance. So sometimes when you've got one person going one way and one person going another way, there's a bit of friction. They're still going in their own directions. They're still getting the job done, but it's, it's, it takes extra energy because there's resistance. In a state of coherence, there's no real resistance in the body. Everything's helping everything else out in the body. And you're really in a state of high efficiency where you're, getting, you're, you're basically getting the maximum amount of output with the minimum amount of input. So you end up having a lot of energy left over. And it puts you in a, in a state. Now, the quick coherence technique that they're talking about here is a heart-brain connection. So the HeartMath Institute has been studying, I think, for at least 25 years, if not more, the connection between the brain and the heart. And they've learned some very, very interesting things. And you could go to their website, just Google HeartMath and it'll take you there. And uh, they've got a whole place on their site with all of their peer-reviewed scientific studies. And uh, one of the things that's very interesting is that the heart has about 40,000 neurons called neurites 
that are independent, that work independently. They pro take in information, process information, make decisions, and send out signals independent of the brain, which means the heart is doing its own thinking, and it's telling the body what to do in its own way. And it actually, the heart sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. And so it, takes, it looks like the heart is the master organ, not the brain. And the heart generates an electromagnetic field around the body. And, and depending on who you're listening to, it's, it's, it's a field that can be measured to be about 5,000 times stronger than the electromagnetic field produced by the brain. Um, and in that field is encoded a bunch of information. But when the heart and brain are working together, sometimes they work against each other, you know. You're, you, but when they're working together and you get into this physiological state of coherence, you're actually opening up... Um, that field gets really big. Uh, it's measurable, I think, in, in about three to nine meters out from you. Don't quote me on the numbers there, but it's, 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 it's a lot bigger than when you're not in a state of coherence. But again, you're producing a lot more energy with, with less input. And in that state of coherence, you gain access to higher order uh, intelligence. You get far more intuitive, and you're able to do some, some things that you wouldn't be able to do in any other state. So. Without further ado, I'd like to share with you this three-step process. And in this slide, I'm going to describe the process for you. And in the next slide, we can do it together uh, with Greg Braden leading in a video clip that I'm going to share with you. So to describe this, the first step is to create a heart focus. And when we're focusing on the heart, the best way to do that is to place your hand or both hands on the area of your heart. And when you touch that area of your heart, automatically your brain is going to pay attention to it because there's some physical stimulus there. So you just bring your, your attention down to the area of your heart. The best way to do it is to touch that area of your heart. So, and then you start what's called heart-focused breathing. So as you breathe, breathe just a little bit slower than you normally would. And again, incorporate a longer exhale than inhale. And if you can work your way to a five-second inhale and a six-second exhale, you'd be doing really great. And as you're focusing on that, as you're doing that breathing and it feels more and more normal, pretend that, that, that you're breathing in through your heart and then out through your heart. So you've got your hands on your heart and, and pretending that as you breathe in, you're breathing in through your heart. And as you exhale, you're breathing out through your heart. All right. So that's the next step. And then once that feels good and you're, you're comfortable with that, then we're going to focus on what we call heart feeling. And they found that there are four key words that work pretty much 100% of the time, that when you focus on these words and the feelings associated with them and any images that pop up as a result of them, or think of times, and this is where, again, where the 20-second hug technique can come in, you know, focus on words appreciation, care, compassion, and gratitude while you're breathing in and out through your heart, ideally five seconds in, six seconds out, if you can, thinking appreciation. And care, compassion, and gratitude. And you're going to want to do that for about three minutes. So without further ado, once again, let's go to the next slide and have a look at what this is like in practice. And I'm going to invite you to do this along with Greg Braden. And this is an excerpt from a, a program that he did called Missing Links on Gaia.com. It takes about 72 hours, three days, to build these networks. So that means the more you do what we're about to do right now, the stronger this connection becomes in your life. Let's try this. Let's go through this together. And this is the way we're going to close out our segment today. I'm going to invite you first to shift your awareness from your mind into your heart by gently touching your heart center. Okay, and once you're there, breathe a little slower than you typically would. Five seconds inhale. Five seconds exhale. And as you breathe, feel your breath coming from your heart and begin to feel those feelings. Compassion, gratitude, care, appreciation. To the best of your ability. To the best of your ability. And I'm going to do the same. researchers have found is that typically three minutes, only three minutes of doing what we have just done will set into motion a cascade 
of events within your body, biochemical events that will last as long as six hours. The immune response, the SIGA response, first line immune in the white blood cells of your mouth, they are reflecting this effect for up to six hours after you actually create the experience. The simple technique that we have just experienced, it is the key to our personal power and to the doorway of all the abilities considered rare and mystical in the past. We don't have to go to a monastery halfway around the world to learn them. No, because you just learned one. And what this quick coherence technique does, and, and they're discovering more and more all the time, but he was alluding to the fact that this process, as you continue to practice, opens a doorway to uh, higher order abilities that were once thought miraculous. And they're just stepping through this threshold now. So I'd highly encourage you to practice this. And again, you can see how you're able to, what they call self-regulate. You're able now to take control of your inner biochemistry without taking a pill. And one of my taglines has often been replacing pills with skills. So this is one of the times when you actually can be replacing some skills with pills, or pills with skills, pardon me. And um, it's not that I'm a doctor, I'm not, but I work with clients who have had anxiety and were taking medication and in conjunction with their doctor, letting them know that they were working with the coach. I was giving her exercises to do. And uh, in my most recent client, she's down to about a quarter of the medication that she was on before and feeling on top of the world. So, and she's able to do so much more, more confidently now than ever before. And part of that magic is this technique. So again, um, you'll have the video here again to practice uh, tomorrow. I think Hannah will be sending it out. So I'll continue on with the bonus for you. A few years back, I was speaking for, uh, at a retreat for a collaborative law group. And uh, they had a number of guest speakers. One of them was a doctor who I learned uh, through his presentation about something at that time in 2015 called resonant breathing. And again, resonant breathing creates this state of coherence. And um, it's, it has to do with what they call heart rate variability, which again is something that the HeartMath Institute studies a lot and, and reports on quite a bit. For those of you who don't know, heart rate variability is a measure that's used for, um, to, to discern, discern how healthy someone is. It's one of the things. And, and what it is, is when your heart beats, it goes ba-bump, 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 ba-bump. The space between the time space between the heartbeats varies. And so the more variable it is, the more healthy you are. The more steady it is, that if it's the same time space between each heartbeat, the actual closer you are to dying. So you want more variable heartbeats. What they've also found, to my understanding, is that each emotional state has sort of a signature heart rate variability. So when you're angry or experiencing anger, you, you have, it's got a certain heart rate variability signature. And when you're happy or when you're, uh, say, anxious again, there's different heart rate variabilities that are signposts that, oh, this is what this person is feeling. They can see the heart rate variability and the chemistry there. What they found with this one is... Um, that if you were to breathe five seconds in and then five and a half, six seconds out with a slightly longer exhale, that if you do that for 10 minutes every day for eight weeks, you will actually literally rewire your autonomic nervous system to move from more uh, from a, a, an anxiety sort of disposition to a more calm, confident, relaxed disposition. And um, so I decided to make a video to make it easy for people, and I posted it on YouTube to just do this. So I have this video on YouTube that um, I think to date has got about 168,000 views. So it tells you that people are finding value in it. And it's just got a bar, a green bar that goes up for an inhale and down for an exhale, and there's music in the background. And the best thing about it is there's no ads. I hate those ads. <laughs> so I just give this away for people to use because I really believe in its efficacy, how, how effective it is in doing this. So. If you go to YouTube and type in resonant breathing, you'll see this video and you can just use it anytime you want. And I want to share with you one of the comments, a recent comment that was on there. I just took a screenshot the other day. So this is four months ago. And I'd like to read it to you in reference to this particular video. He said, I've been practicing this every day for at least 10 minutes and for the last three weeks. And let me tell you, it really works. 
My autonomic nervous system was a mess after not dealing with my emotions after the death of a parent as a child. I just, I think I just got used to being in a constant state of fight or flight. Now, however, things are settling down and an old and old repressed emotions are coming to the surface, which I'm dealing with head on. Joy is slowly creeping back into my life and I'm finally starting to recognize my worth. If any of my stories sounds familiar to, to you, I urge you to give this a try. I was delighted with this and I thought, um, this, is, this is really great feedback um, because it, it's, again, another testament to the fact that this, the, this, I mean, that is an anecdotal evidence. It's just someone's story, but there's a lot of scientific research and, and clinical studies that demonstrate that this particular breathing exercise works. And if you take what we've learned so far and put it together in your own way, and I'll do a review at the end here, it's coming up soon. So then what you can do is, is mix and match and, and experiment with these. And like I say, create your own recipe and uh, see what works best for you because all of us are different. And even our moods throughout the days are different. You can find what works for you in those particular moments. So before I go there, I'd like to talk just a little bit about the characteristics of resilient people. So what are the qualities of character that we possess when we are resilient, when we're being resilient? So first one is you're identifying yourself as a survivor and not a victim. So when things happen, they're not happening to you. They're happening. Actually, life is presenting you with this so that you can grow through it. So thinking that you're not a victim, or pardon me, thinking that you're a victim is disempowering, and it hypnotizes you literally into believing that you are helpless and powerless. Nothing is further from the truth. Everything you do creates a result. Everything creates a result. Everything you do creates a result. So you are power itself. You can change things. So focus upon a positive outcome and set yourself into motion. Because the way the brain works is the brain is a goal-oriented organism that when you focus on a goal, it starts to orient itself to collect only the information that's relevant to the goal. And when you have a sense of determination, it really filters well so you're not distracted when you're determined. And the information that you, you tend to focus on is only the information that helps you achieve that goal and none of the stuff that doesn't. So you actually start getting into these states where you start to get ideas. You ever wonder where ideas come from? Your brain is like a receiver that receives, uh, just like a radio uh, receives radio signals to tune into the station that you want. And it's like Thomas Edison used to say, they would compliment him on all of his genius. And he says, look, ideas are in the air. He says, if I didn't think of it, somebody else would have. So think of yourself as a survivor. When stuff happens that you don't want to have happen, you can say, I can get through this. I can grow through this, breathe through this, and I can find a way. Characteristic number two, resilient people have this sense of control. Do you see yourself as in control of your life or do you blame others and outside sources for your failures and problems? You see, resilient people have an internal locus of control. That just means that their locus is a root word for location. The location of where, where, where the control over their life is located is either inside of them or outside of them. And when it's inside of them and they believe that, while they can't control the outside events, they can control what they do next. And when you say, look, so I, I often say that there's the difference between a life event and a life experience. We could all go to a concert and we're at the same event, the same music's playing at the same volume for everyone, same amount of smoke is in the air and so on and so forth. And then let's say we all go for a drink later and talk about the concert. And one of us says, that was too loud. Another one says, that wasn't loud enough. One said, I wish they played their new stuff. Oh, I loved all the stuff they played. It was too screechy. It wasn't screechy at all. It was too smoky. I didn't notice any smoke. Everyone had a different experience. They were all at the same event. But it went through these different filters of how, what we're, how we're bringing in information determines our experience. Again, it's how we imagine the concert to be that becomes our memories. So when we remember something, we actually don't remember an event. We remember our experience of the event. And like Epictetus said, it's not the things that disturb us, but our reactions to them is where the disturbance comes. So when you remember that you can control your attitude, how you, what story you tell yourself about what's happening, then you are actually making it possible for you to move in the kind of direction that you want to move in. Another quality of resilient people is that you have strong problem-solving skills. In dangerous situations, some people can develop tunnel vision and no longer see available options. Well, that comes from stress. 
Because when we're under stress uh, and we're, we freak out, we're only focusing in on details. We can't see the bigger picture anymore. And this is where the breathing comes in. You breathe slowly, slowly. And I say, go to the mountaintop because from the mountaintop, you can see the big picture. You can see everything. And then ask yourself, okay, what's, what's really important here? So resilient people have the ability to stay calm and rationally approach the situation in a solution-oriented way. And again, as you practice these, these skills that I'm sharing with you, these become your more dominant characteristics. Resilient people also have strong social connections. So feeling socially connected provides a sense of strength and counters primal fear of rejection or abandonment that might settle in when your inner critic begins to tear you down from the inside. Have you ever gone through a breakup and you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, oh, and that voice inside of your head starts tearing you down. You're ugly. You're no good. Who's going to want you? It's time to, to call your friends, to go out and meet new people and, and realize that, no, people do love you. There, there's, we have such a wealth of um, support available to us. Even if you don't think you do, it just takes one person. And if you, if you can't find someone in your own life, then that's where you could hire somebody, a coach, a counselor, a a psychologist, psychiatrist, it doesn't matter, but find someone, a priest, uh, someone in your church or synagogue, someone. And when you reach out and create those strong social connections, um, you're going to be, again, have one of those characteristics. Uh, the fifth one is really being able to ask for help. So part of being reasonable is knowing what you can do yourself and what you can't. Being able to ask for help is a skill based in self-worth and believing that you're worth helping. So seeking out books, a counselor, a psychotherapist, or a coach can help greatly when seeking a way out of your current situation. So that's kind of what I was talking to in the last one. So again, you're not a victim. You're a survivor. You've got a sense of control over yourself, what you can do, the self-regulation. You can problem solve when you look at the bigger picture. You've got social connections, people that can help you, and you can ask for help. So when we're going to summarize everything that we've gone through so far, I offered a preliminary resilience strategy. Even before this, with the poem by Rumi, remember that you can welcome in these emotions and don't be afraid to feel what we call bad emotions or bad feelings. Just let them come in. Don't try and resist them because what you resist persists. It'll just get stronger. So just observe it. Don't stand inside of it. Stand outside of it. Look at it. Observe the physical sensations of it. Say, Stay as long as you want, but you don't get to sit in the driver's seat. So it doesn't get to run your mouth or your mind or make your decisions for you or make you take actions. You're just going to wait until you change your state, breathe through it, and then when you feel better, then you can take new action and, and decide what to do next. So breathe, imagine a better outcome. Remember that we're always responding to what we're imagining is going on. So in quantum science, they say that all possibilities exist equally. And why would we focus on the one that we don't want? I often think about, you know, this quantum realm as a big supermarket. If all possibilities, like if the future is kind of unwritten and we're using this present moment to write the future, imagine going to superstore and everything that you could possibly want is on the shelves in, the, in, in a supermarket and all the stuff you want is on the shelves and all the stuff you don't want is on the shelves. So why would you go to the supermarket, take something you don't want off the shelf and put it in your cart and pay for it? Don't do that. Pick a future you want and work towards that. Don't let yourself be hypnotized by what you're seeing and thinking, oh my God, it's, you know, breathe. Imagine a better outcome. It's a good start. Now, resilient strategy number one based in the research is make friends with stress. Don't think that stress is bad for you. It's good for you. It's helping you survive. It's giving you the extra energy you need. And if you, don't, if you can't get rid of the energy, stand up and give your body a shake. Go get some exercise. Take a break. Come back. Get rid of some of that extra energy, but realize that it's helping you prepare to get through the situation. Resilient strategy number two, that 20-second hug technique. Release that oxytocin. Think of someone you love, hug them in your mind, and feel that warmth growing in your chest. That actually helps put you into that coherence. How do you know when you're in coherence? It's when you're feeling that appreciation, care, kindness, and you actually notice and, and you can pay attention to this now. Next time you do that hug technique, you might notice your breathing rate be nice and slow and deep, that you're breathing deep into your belly, five seconds in, maybe six seconds out. Number three, seek connection. Number four, quick coherence technique. Do that heart breathing. And the bonus strategy is you can do the resonant breathing if you want some help and guidance. Just watch the video and, and, and let yourself go through that. So 
And I think that is that. I hope that you have found value in today's presentation and that you've got something that you feel you can really take with you. I use all of these myself in different combinations. I do the quick coherence technique every day. I practice resonant breathing all the time. A lot of some of this uh, that I do, the breathing, everything's automatic for me now. Um, and I combine 20-second hug and variants of it because, like I say, you, you start creating your own recipes and your own ways of doing things blend these together so wish you all the very best and i'm going to oh promote myself sorry i got a, a, a free offer for you too if you've ever thought about working with a resilience coach uh it's really all about mastering the self-regulation so i help people overcome fears inhibitions improve relationship dynamics when you understand language patterns and and listening patterns oh my goodness you can start changing things really well strengthen any skill you want to get better at anything there's a way to do it Reduce anxiety, let go of shyness, break unwanted habits, increase your confidence, boost influence with others, maintain higher levels of health by doing these practices and boosting your immune system more consistently. And when that becomes a habit, oh my goodness, you're giving yourself, they've actually shown that um, this quick coherence technique, and I think, I think that was it. And don't quote me on this either, but I'm going to have to double check this. But the efficacy of that in terms of boosting your immune system and rendering you um, uh, less susceptible to the flu works better than any flu shot that you're actually giving yourself a flu shot by doing this kind of breathing or doing you're changing your chemistry in such a way that it is more effective than a flu shot and that was the the science behind that so i thought that was really interesting so this is the power that you are to to change your own health which is great so why not see if it's for you i'm offering a free 45 minute personal coaching strategy session and a strategy session is basically we take a look at where you are where you'd like to be and what the pathway going there would look like and uh, there's lots of value in there because you'll get a tool or two i'm very generous with with what i know and, and sharing that and hopefully that's something that you felt today um, and if you want to take advantage of this offer all you got to do is email me trent at the and say, hey, watch your presentation. I'd like to take advantage of your 45 minute. Do you have any spaces available? I'll get back to you. So with that, thank you very much for, if you're still here, for sticking around. And I hope again that you've, you've enjoyed this presentation. Thank you very much. I'm going to stop sharing my screen. And I am going to put myself on video. And look through the chat like... Hannah had instructed me to do. Yes, please, Trent. I was just going to ask you to do that. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Thanks. So, uh, just wondering about your training and her formal education. I also appreciate clear speaking voice, easy to follow. Oh, thank you very much. Um, training formal education. So, um, a background in hypnotherapy, um, also strategic intervention, and then what they called um, strategic SI excellence. So strategic intervention is a multidisciplinary approach. It was developed by Tony Robbins and Chloe Madonis. And it's, the, like I said, a multifaceted approach to creating personal change. Um, NLP, uh, neuro-linguistic programming, uh, studied that. Also, silver mind methods. Um, I also read and still continue to read and listen to hundreds of books, uh, probably thousands at this point, but I'm kind of a bookworm. I just, I just like this this. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, from Pam Wakeman, have there been any studies with people who employ resilience techniques and dementia, Alzheimer's? I can honestly say I have a, a business partner named Mally's from Ireland, and uh, he always says this. He says, I don't know is the answer. So I apologize, but for me in this regard, I don't know is the answer. You, you could Google that and see. Uh, meaning those who employ these strategies are reducing or limiting. I don't know about the dementia and the effects of that. So. Apologize for not knowing that answer. Um, I love this presentation. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So if there's any live questions, I'm, I'm happy to an ask, answer any questions that anyone might have. If, if not, then I'll let um, kind of close out the show. There's one more chat question there, Trent, I think. Um.
how does this affect brain injuries? Again, I'm not a doctor. I apologize. I don't know. Um, that is a good question. It's a good, it's again, I'm all about self-empowerment too. So, you know, doing our own research, finding our own answers is a good, it's a good practice to begin, but it doesn't hurt to ask. Of course you should ask me. Um, I don't know. Again, I'm not, I don't deal with people who have brain injuries. So usually my clients, like I say, are very healthy, um, functioning business owners that just are looking to go. So I'm not a therapist as much as I'm a coach so or a counselor than a, and a coach. For me, counseling is about healing the past and coaching is about growing into the future. So I focus primarily on coaching. Any other questions for Trent, anyone? Okay, Trent, I think we're good. I think uh, that was that was truly, truly excellent, though I have to say that I love I love Bruce Lipton, I love Greg Braden, and Biology of Belief is one of my favorite books. So thank you for bringing that to light. You are definitely the first presenter to ever um, to introduce those books. So and, and the concepts and it was just incredible and I think that uh, we all have a we all have many um, well activities to practice now ahead of us to make mm. ourselves more resilient. So thank you for that. It was, it was amazing, amazing. We'd love to have you back as well in the fall if you are if you're available. So uh, everybody have a wonderful evening. I will be emailing you all the video recording tomorrow uh, as well as information on how to redeem uh, Choices Markets coupons. And I hope everybody has a beautiful evening. And thank you so much, Trent, again, for, for your time and for sharing such an incredible wealth of knowledge with us. Truly appreciate thank it. You. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to end the meeting now. So have a beautiful evening. Okay. Bye. Bye.